second season of Crypto with English. I'd like to warmly introduce a guest that I've had previously on my show. He is Jesse Anglin, the CEO of Rapid Innovation. His practice, his company was one of the first major web application developers solely dedicated to the development of Web3 decentralized applications. You may see that as a more popular trend nowadays, but three years ago, it seemed virtually unknown. So Jesse has had a very colorful and very illustrious career. He's worked with Charlie, Charlie, well, I'm sorry, Charlie Lee of Litecoin and Vitalik Buterin of Ethereum. So there's going to be quite a bit to cover today, especially in light of many recent events, especially the SEC going after Coinbase. And we're going to see how the ripples from that affect the uh, development and the fostering of real tech, real great technological uh, feats in this space. So, Jesse, thank you very much for coming on today. Dude, you're very welcome. It's always a pleasure to uh, to chat with you. You're you're one of my favorite uh, podcasts to join. Thank you, and uh, you're certainly among uh, one of my favorite guests to come on. In fact, uh, I, I believe I even mentioned this during the last episode. You're probably one of the first, I guess you could say, uh, major contacts I made in this space. So. You know, I have my own little origin story as far as how I got into this, but I remember meeting you through a friend and we kept in touch ever since. And then, you know, it's uh, it's very nice to see kind of where the path, you know, unfolds in front of us. So, you know, I celebrate all of your successes as far as what you're doing and what your team is doing with rapid innovation. So, you know, I would say my, my first question today would be, does the situation with the SEC and going after the likes of Coinbase, Binance, and others. Does that affect well-meaning, promising projects in Web3? Kind of. Um, okay. I, mean, I, I think it has an effect. But what's interesting is that like, the Web3 space is not, it's not a US invention. Uh, sure. Like, and so I think that what it is most likely going to do for the moment is it's probably going to affect whether or not people in the US can participate in some stuff. I think it'll it's going to have that effect. I think the other effect, at least is what I've seen with my clients, is that they're not making the decision not to move forward with their project. They're just making the decision to domicile their project elsewhere. And so it basically right. just removes a ton of economic opportunity for the US you know, to tax somebody to, you know, sure. like, but it's just lost revenue is all it is. Like, no one's going to stop innovating just because Gary Gensler wants to go and, you know, try to screw up the Web3 industry. Uh, they're just going to go elsewhere and do it, which means that we miss out on opportunities. Now, that's, that's not totally correct. Um, you know, I think there are some people that that feel like, you know, the US is a huge consumer market, right? I mean, there's a lot of money here. And so I think there are some people that feel like if they can't launch here, it's going to be difficult to launch and, and other things along those lines. It does scare some entrepreneurs to, you know, the thought of, of trying to launch and, and keep the US out of, uh, you know, out of their project. And so I think it will have some effect, but I think it's going to have a lot less of, a, of an effect than uh, than maybe what what some what some of the more FUD type people are saying. Um, I think it will affect the U.S. market for crypto probably. 
um, which is a big consumer. That'll affect it. I don't know. I think the whole thing's just kind of crazy uh, because at the end of the day, crypto is not, it's not confined by borders. It just isn't. Right. Like the whole idea behind crypto is that you have this flawless way to transfer value um, or utilize utility that is, uh, that is unrestricted. And, uh, and so, I mean, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to restrict it. Uh, and because I think they're coming to the conclusion that it's very difficult to restrict, like, well, okay, then we'll just, you know, kick it out of the U.S. in order to do that. It doesn't solve any of their problems, um, sure. in my opinion. It just moves moves it to somebody, it makes it somebody else's problem, maybe. Right. And with that, oh, getting into, you know, not to betray any confidences, since it seems to me, since it seems to be the fact or the situation that projects are going to start leaving the United States and going elsewhere, have clients indicated where some of those other places would be? Um, yeah, I mean, it's going, it, it's a lot of people are moving to a lot of the jurisdictions where they're very friendly to crypto. Like the one that comes to mind off the, just off the top of my head is Dubai. Like, Sure. The United Arab Emirates is incredibly friendly. I mean, they are incentivizing crypto companies to to domicile there. Um, they're they're basically saying, you know, start your company here. We won't even we won't even tax you. Um, right. Like, incredibly friendly. Um, I think they were probably trying to compete with the U.S. before all of this stuff happened. And and I've got a lot of people that have been making the decision to go do that because it's not very hard. And right. so that's one location, but there's, but there are more, um, you know, I've got, I have very few clients that are currently trying to build something in the U S at the moment. They're all kind of going elsewhere. Uh, and, and Dubai stands out as a place that a lot of them are trying to go. Right. Yeah. And that, and that makes perfect sense. And, you know, maybe, I guess this would be leaning more into the metaphysical or philosophical, but can can an institution really regulate something that is decentralized? And you know, for those in the space, and even for those not in the space, you know, this this type of technology goes and extends far beyond borders. You know, the nodes are very global. The nodes are very international, and you know, there's a lot of these practical constraints where is passing a regulation is that almost like a paper tiger to an extent i think about it it's like well if you're going to regulate this you have to understand it first and if i was just to listen to the talking heads on tv i highly doubt anybody's ever sat down either opened a book or you know read through articles and really got a firm grasp on this so you know of course as a developer um it kind of begs the question, right? Yeah, they don't understand. They don't understand anything, um, in my opinion. I think that they see a lot of value transfer that's very, very difficult to tax. Um, they don't sure. see how they're going to make money, right? You've now got a trillion-plus-dollar industry that they don't know how to make money off of, and that's, I think, very, very scary to a regulator. I think that they're like I'm not and. I think that common sense regulation, like if there's a way to do it, 
Sure, go for it. Um, sure. I've always had my doubts uh, when it comes to regulation, simply because as far as I can tell from a technological standpoint, if you want to stop Bitcoin, for instance, probably right. the most decentralized of, of all of the cryptos that exist today, sure. um, you have to turn the internet off. Right. And at this point, I don't think they can, they can do that. Like that would cause like major, major problems globally if you just turned off the global internet in order to stop it. And so like, if you think about uh, regulations, good, right? In, in some capacity, sure. like I'm glad there are rules uh, in certain things. Like I'm glad people don't just run around killing other people, like all that's good. Um, but I don't even think the regulation is the, is the problem. Like all regulation requires enforcement. And enforcement at its, uh, I guess, at its base level is incredibly simple, right? You have to find the person or entity or thing, say the person that is running something, that is doing something that you don't like, and then you have to stop them from doing it. And they have lots of options, right? They'll find people, um, and that will stop some people from doing things. Uh, if that doesn't work, then they will take away that person's freedom, uh, you know, lock them in a cage somewhere. If that doesn't work, they have got more guns than, you know, than I do. And so then they can stop me that way. And so, but at the end of the day, you have to force somebody else to stop doing something. It's easy to do, generally speaking, for somebody like the SEC, because how our like corporate structure is for, you know, how people start companies and how people run things is generally there's somebody like me who's a CEO. And if you want to stop the company from doing something, they go after me. But in the blockchain space, that's not how it works. Like there is no one person that sits up at the top of, you know, the, the, at the top of Bitcoin that you can go and point your gun at and say, do this thing or you're in trouble. And so the only option they would have would be going after every single node. Well, there's anybody can do that. Anyone can be a Bitcoin node. Um, and so that means now they have to go after hundreds of thousands of mil millions of people and try to get all of them to comply with them. Like that becomes a, a very, very, very difficult task. I would say borderline impossible. Like it's, and, and not just that, because there are no borders, you'd have to do it globally, which means that whoever decides they want to enforce this, they're gonna like, what are you gonna do? Sanction every single other country in the, in the world and say, you know, we're going to sanction you because you allow, like, I just don't, I just don't see it. It's unrealistic. It's, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. Um, so the whole thing is just kind of the, the premise to, to start off with is just kind of funny. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Right. And, you know, like you, I had a hard time in many ways wrapping my head around the real practical realities of enforcement, which I think you really listed quite quite eloquently, to, uh, to say the very least. You know, I guess as a question, maybe this is kind of more of a bird's eye view of the internet. So last year, I had the opportunity to briefly speak an interview with Edward Snowden, famous US whistleblower. And he described the internet today as a mechanism or as a vehicle that is being designed to be favorable and advantageous to the institution and harmful to the individual. Seeing how world events are unfolding, what's your feeling on that statement? That's 100% accurate. 
because follow the money, right? Uh, or the power in some cases. But if you look at who controls information flow today, it's not the people. Um, it's corporations that have a motivation to make profit or have power. And so because those corporations control the information flow, I mean, ultimately, it's going to harm the end user. There's not really like, unless you think that the Googles and the Metas and, you know, the Twitters and these, and, and the, these huge corporations or huge government, you know, entities have my best interests at, at heart, which I don't think there's anybody. Like, I, I bet you could poll everyone in the United States is your normal dude. None of them are going to say with any confidence that I think that the large corporations and large government entities have my best interests at heart. Like it's just not going to happen. And so, yeah, I 100% agree with that statement, which is why decentralization needs to exist, right? And that's why Bitcoin needs to exist. That's why Ethereum needs to exist. That's why we need decentralized computing. That's why. And, and not only that, there's a whole nother, there's a whole nother domino that just fell um, that I think I think people aren't paying attention to, which is like AI has has finally become mainstream, right? You know, I, right. I've been playing around with it for a long time, but AI is fundamentally AI is dangerous. Um, not necessarily in the in the sense that I think it's going to become Skynet and we're going to have Terminators and and all of that kind of stuff. Like I don't necessarily believe the apocalypse looks like that, but AI is dangerous because it's a kind of technology that is incredibly powerful that human beings do not know how to use um, responsibly. And we don't know, like the, the amount of censorship and brainwashing that you could create um, helping people in their lives with an AI. I mean, imagine, you know, a, a psychology app that you go put online that's trained to be a certain way. You could brainwash an entire generation of people. Like the, the power that, that these corporates now have by having a, a, a computer that can communicate in the same way as a human being to a human being. I mean, it's, it's actually quite terrifying if you, you know, spend any time at all and think about it. And I think that, I think that having some form of decentralized control over that kind of technology is, is necessary to make sure that it's not actually harmful for humanity. And so there's that whole side of things uh, as well, not just our money, not just our applications and how information flows, but also to govern some of this new technology that's coming out that I don't personally believe that in the hands of the, you know, the elite that run our country or run the world or run things, I don't think they're going to be responsible with it. They're going to use it to take advantage of normal everyday people. And I, I just think it's kind of dangerous. Very well said. In fact, what you just mentioned segues into my next question. This was a statement that I just came across in my usual research and puttering around, but it was posited as a question, can artificial intelligence really escape the biases of, of its creators? You know, you can say the programmers and you could, you could say the teams and money behind it. And, you know, it's an interesting question because I've also come across, you can either say the statement or question, well, the world should be controlled by AI because then, you know, there's going to be no human bias and it's not going to be, you know, corrupted by the usual, you could say, instincts of either, you know, greed, self-interest and, and things like that. But, you know, thinking about it, it's like, yeah, I mean, even as 
well-behaved as one can intentionally be, our subconscious really informs so much of what we do, we don't realize it. Well, I'm biased. So are you. Like, I'm biased towards decentralization. I think it's a good thing. And you tend to go... And so... If I if someone didn't have that belief system, right, they would be biased the other way towards centralization. Like all everyone's biased. Like we, that's that's what it means to be human is to be biased. Um, and it doesn't matter. Like we ourselves think we're not biased, be, but not because we're not. It's just because we think we're right. And we think that if you know if my opinions and my beliefs align with an absolute truth, then I can't be biased. But it's very difficult to define everything in that kind of black and white but here's here's what i think about that I, so i think a couple of things about that question um number one i think we have no idea what we're dealing with with ai and i'll give you one little example although i could talk about this for an entire day uh chat gpt which is probably the most you know the most popular, you know, large language model that's been, you know, that, that I would say works well. It's out there on the market right now. You know, we spent it, we, we gave it a relatively, or open, the OpenAI team gave it a relatively small data set to train it, all things considered. It's not like they gave it all of the world's information in text. Um, and the first time they trained it, uh, they, you know, they, they spent X amount of money to give it X amount of training cycles and we got GPT-3 and it did decent. And then they said, well, what would happen if we adjusted a few parameters, use the same data set, but we just spent more money on the training and it got way better from three to 3.5. And then they said, well, what would happen if we don't change anything on the parameters and we just train it a lot more, like a lot, lot more, you know, let's, let's spend 10 times more money and uh and let's let's spend it and let's train this thing so what comes out the other side is a is a model that's been trained only on english this is important for the example only on english um they didn't feed it any other languages just english um that somehow has the ability to speak random rare i mean it speaks persian fluently it's never seen Persian. wasn't trained on Persian. It, it doesn't know anything about Persian, but it speaks Persian as fluently as I speak English. Uh, my co-founder is from a wow. little village in uh, northeastern India. It speaks his hometown village language perfectly. And you ask the wow. researchers why it can do that, and you know what their answer is? We have no idea. Um, wow. Which is absolutely scary. Concerning. When you think about yeah. it. Yeah, a little bit. So when you say when you say can a large language model escape the confines of the biases that were that were programmed into it, we don't even know what happens when you actually feed one of these large language models a lot of data and you give it enough time to really train. So it might be coming up with its own biases that have nothing to do with the data it was given with even with its programming. We don't we just don't know. And Currently, as of today's date, nobody has the answer to these questions. Um, and so I think there are two things like that would be concerning. One would be you're right and you can't escape the biases of the people who are turning these things on. And that means that you're going to have these incredibly powerful pieces of semi-intelligent technology that are like highly biased towards a certain way of thinking. 
that's concerning. But on the other side, you have a, a you know a piece of technology that is maybe more than semi-intelligent that is coming up with its own way of thinking about how the world should be, and it has its own biases, and then humanity is interacting with that, and we don't even understand it. And I think in both cases, it's it's somewhat concerning. I don't think there's a scenario where it isn't concerning. And I, I think that's why people who really study this stuff look at it and say, like, are like I know Pandora's box is open. You don't ever get to stuff it back in, but, like, are we ready for this? Because because this is crazy. Um, and the more you dig into it, I mean, go read 15, 20 papers on how people think ChatGPT4 works, the guys who created it, and what you come to find out very quickly is they have no idea. They don't know why it does what it does. Um, they don't know why it is able to, to uh, like, do, do what it does. Like, it's magic to them, and it's magic to, to me, and it's magic to everybody. Um, that, I, I would say that's probably the most concerning thing about a large language model. Right. Those are all really good points. And in fact, uh, your statement encapsulating all that goes to my next question. So I, I think reasonable minds within the space can agree, whatever the SEC is going to do right now is going to represent this big overcorrection where yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stamp out a little bit of the bad, and it's also going to stamp out a hell of, hell of a lot of good out there, unfortunately. Just kind of the nature. Well, of, will it stamp the out the bad? I actually, I'll argue. Right, yes, that. right. <laughs> I don't think it will. Right. I think it'll get rid of all, most of the good, and, it'll, and all of the bad will be left. Like, this is a filter that does not get rid of any of the bad. Because think about this. Bad actors don't... If you say it's illegal to kill people, what ends up happening is that people who generally want to do the right thing don't kill people. But bad people still kill people. Like that like right. the regulation against killing people hasn't stopped bad people from killing people. Regulations against breaking and entering haven't stopped people from breaking and entering. Like that's not actually how it works. And because this is a global market, so we can get away with laws, right? And not being lawless because we have guns and we can point those guns at those people and we can tell them if you don't stop, like something bad will happen to you. And they do because they're confined within borders. Like that's why regulation works is because you're confined within borders. Blockchain decentralization, it is not confined within borders. And so all that's going to happen is the, the bad actors are going to act bad from elsewhere. The good actors are going to not do anything probably, or it will be very difficult for them to do it. And we'll just have less good actors and more bad actors, in my opinion. Right, right. Very, very good point. So when it comes to AI, and you could say all the creations that, you know, spurn forth from it, shouldn't maybe regulations be better applied towards, let's say, creating ethics around the way AI, machine learning, and all of those things are used. Because in all fairness, I have not seen or heard anything coming out of, let's say, Congress or, any, or anybody whatsoever that talks about, listen, with this very novel, with this very misunderstood and fungible technology, it's extremely powerful. It changes faster than, let's say, our minds and even current technology can keep up with that if we're to measure one against the other. Shouldn't the regulation be almost like an ethical code as far as how companies can uh, 
can apply this because if you know listening to you and if i was to just go off of my research there should be some sort of moral guideline as to how to develop ai how to apply it and what those restraints should be well this is where i think that decentralized technology becomes the solution to other problems that we're creating actually because it all boils down in in as far as i can tell and i can be I mean, I've been debated on this, and so and there's different ways to think about it. But it all boils down to not necessarily whether or not things should or should not be regulated. I think everybody, even someone who's full-blown on the anarchist scale, believes that there should be some form of regulation. Um, it's, it's, it's just a matter of to what degree, right? And so if you had everybody vote as to how things should be, you'd find that there's some form of moral code that everybody in general, kind of agrees that everyone else ought to act by. Um, the problem is, is that there has never been a decent way um, to have the people communicate what they want in a way that doesn't become corrupted by the time it gets to the decision makers. Um, and so you get decision makers that make decisions um, and the people kind of just get left out of it. And so, like for instance, let's say, let's just pick like the ethics that um, that an AI uses. Like, I don't think it would be all that difficult to say, here's the training data that we're after. This is what we want to accomplish with this, you know, with this large language model that we want to release and help people. Here's the ethical standards that we want it to, you know, to go by. Uh, you you put out those you put out those principles into a DAO, and you let the people govern that DAO, right? So now the human beings that are actually needing to interact with this AI and that that's lives are going to be impacted by the AI are the ones that are the gatekeepers as to how it can behave and what it, you know, how it acts and what its ethics are and, um, you know, whether or not it can brainwash or not brainwash them, you know, based on what the morals of that society are and, and all those things. And so I think that I personally think that some form of a DAO-driven um, we'll call it a DAO-driven governance platform uh, for artificial intelligence fixes some of these problems. The question is whether or not that's actually possible to get there, because the, from a technological standpoint, it's not very difficult to do to do that. I would say it's actually relatively easy. Um, but I mean, what is what is OpenAI worth today? Billions and billions and billions of dollars. You know, do they actually like? Are they interested in giving that up in order to do the right thing? Like historically speaking, I don't, I don't think so. I don't see very many people that are. Um, but I do think there are ways to do that. I, I think that if enough people banded together and said, "Hey, like we would like to have control over how um, this technology is going to affect us by being able to have an actual voice when it comes to like the morality of these intelligent machines that seem to have at least some spark of intelligence." especially before they get too intelligent and be gatekeepers for how these things work and be able to think about how we want to train it ethically. Um, I think that we would have a much better future for ourselves. I'm just not entirely sure we can get there. Maybe I've lost hope in humanity, but I'm just not sure we can get there. You raised some excellent points there. And my follow-up question to that would be, I think we've all heard the quips, the questions, the old dodge that, you know, machines will 
replace humans. And that's often been a reference to artificial intelligence for over 30 years. But it also seems, if we were to look at it on the other hand, if AI replaced humans, is it possible that AI could also destroy itself at some point? Given you could say it's, it's rapidly, uh, you could say it's very potent, it's very dynamic nature. I mean, could it end up being the dragon that swallows its own tail? Maybe. I mean, I think that we don't know. I mean, I think that's the, I think that actually, if you look at what's most concerning about where we are today when it comes to AI, is that we just, we don't know. Like we opened, we opened the box and started playing with whatever was inside before we even knew what it was. We don't know if it's a poisonous snake. We don't know if it, like, it's a fluffy bunny rabbit that's going to be our friend for life. Like, we just, we don't really know. Um, and, so here's something that's really interesting that I realized about eight months ago um, when I kind of started really getting a vision for where this tech was going to go, maybe a little bit longer ago than that, is I realized, so I've always had the opinion that the first jobs that would be replaced were the ones that took the least amount of education. Now, I don't know why I thought that. It was some form of just bias that I had in my head that made sense, right? Like a bricklayer, pretty easy to lay bricks. You know, they're making 3D printer houses like, I think that that makes sense. Um, but you know what's interesting? Take something like ChatGPT that has the ability to be in the top 10 percentile of lawyers um, just out of right. the box. Right. Now, all of a sudden, people that used to be very educated and very high value in our society basically become worthless um, because a machine can do what you will charge me $10,000 to do, and it's going to do it in 15 seconds and cost me nothing. Um, and so your value just got wiped out. Um, take something like my job. Like if you think of somebody who runs a company, a CEO is, well, it probably depends a little bit and there'll probably be a lot of people disagree with me on this, but a CEO is someone who basically looks at data and makes decisions. Um, <laughs> like, you know what chat GPT is incredibly good at is looking at data and making decisions, um, you know, based on a set of principles. And so like, and it, it can't do it today. Um, and I wouldn't disagree with that if someone wanted to argue that point with me, but we just started playing with whatever was inside that box and it does a pretty damn good job. And so, um, you know, the other side is like doctors, like it can die it, as a diagnostic diagnostician. It does a far better job than a doctor who's been in the industry for 30 years out of the box like like that's that's crazy um so all um programmers another one uh you know it, it probably out of the box without any extra help is probably the equivalent to a three-year experienced developer um you know and so all of these high level like highly technical very very difficult jobs look like they they you're going to just be able to replace them um with a semi-intelligent machine. And that's, you know, version one, basically. And so I find that to be fascinating. Like, if you want job security, I was talking to uh, someone the other day, and he's like, yeah, I went and got my electrical. I'm, I'm taking my electrical apprenticeship. He was, a, he was a copywriter, a really good one, made a lot of money. And he's going to wow. go be an electrician because... Because the thing that he's done his whole life, he's like, yeah, it's, I don't see that. I don't see a future in it. Like, uh, and 
yeah, dude, the world's the world's in for a crazy, crazy su- surprise. What I want to see is I want to see innovators that understand both the blockchain and the decentralized world and the AI world looking for creative solutions to actually creative and thoughtful solutions that can start taking some of this tech that that we don't yet understand and putting some boxes around it in a in a way that is ethical and what i mean by ethical is like in a decentralized way right like that allows the people to actually govern themselves and how we interact with some of this stuff like i think that's absolutely necessary as far as i know very few people are working on um but we'll see what happens right and my question to that would be so is there any way for decentralized blockchain technologies to, let's say, mitigate the potential, and by the way, the actual capability of widespread harm and damage that AI can do. You mentioned one example about DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. Could you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, so I mean, if you think about, if you think about an AI model, an AI model consists of uh, a couple of things. Like you've got the actual neural network and then you've got the data that you're going to that you're going to train the network on and then you've got the guardrails that you then set up after the after the model is trained so that how it interacts with let's say people but it could be anything but how it interacts afterwards has some sort of like guardrails about what it can and cannot do like day 1 like you could get you could get chat gpt day 1 to tell you anything how to make math how to hotwire a car the best way to murder somebody like it would i mean it would have a conversation with you about anything um it was very very immoral and it would give you fantastic ideas about how to do all kinds of illegal stuff and so then they've set up all these guardrails right but the base model actually is still that way like it would i mean it, it has the information it could talk to you about it it's just it's being got guardrails so they can't and so if I was to set up a DAO, um, I would probably say, okay, open source developer community, you guys work on the actual neural network and let's, let's work on making that as awesome as it possibly can be. Um, and then let's have the members of the DAO govern two things. One, the information that we're going to give this thing, um, because the information that you give it is going, is going to bias it, maybe. We don't, actually don't know that necessarily, but I think it probably is highly likely. Um, and then after we've given it this information, the rules that it plays by as it interacts with the world around it, you know, is it allowed to have conversations with, you know, with people about illegal activities? You know, is it allowed to, you know, is it allowed to tell inappropriate jokes about certain races? Is it, and the list goes on and on and on. And so then the, you know, the community itself regulates that and that then becomes the AI that people are using so that you have one that, the majority of that operates the the way that the majority of people want it to operate instead of operating in the way that Mark Zuckerberg wants it to operate it or Sundar Pichai wants it to operate or even you know the US government wants it to operate um, because it should be the people who are deciding this because we're the ones that are going to be affected by it um, it's our lives uh, it's it is I think it would be a huge disservice uh, to not to not do something like that. And so that's how I would build it. It wouldn't be that hard to build, like I said. I mean, I, I give me a month, I could put it together. 
I think the adoption is where the difficulty is going to come from because there's very little incentive. Right. Would you say that, would you say if, let me ask you if this comparison is appropriate or apt for this. So, you know, during the years of the Cold War, it was widely agreed that nuclear weapons were going to be the ultimate threat. You know, it's going to cause essentially the effective apocalypse of mankind. You know, at any moment, any nation, any major city could be under threat of a thermo of thermonuclear warfare. Would you say that today for 2023, that the comparison of the of the nuke, would that be AI for us today? I, I'm hesitant to say yes, but I'm a little bit hesitant to say no. Sure. Um, I guess the reason that I think yes is some of it's probably based on my own ideology. Like I, I think that people ought to have free will, um, and I think that people ought to make their own decisions. And I think that most people, if you ask them, they would say they do. Um, but what I have discovered is that that if you actually just look at like from a sociological standpoint, you look at humanity as a whole, you find out that that's not true. Um, and that people, the vast majority of people tend to make decisions based on what, like, what they hear, the inputs. Um, and there's not very much of a filter up here that they're actually filtering the input through, right? Meaning, I go and tell you that the moon is made of cheese and you don't actually filter that through any intellectual knowledge that you have that says that maybe that's wrong. And so then you believe the moon is made of cheese and then you go tell everyone the moon is made of cheese. And the only reason that you believe it is because I told it to you. The vast majority of people um, tend to operate this way. Um, now, it's not obviously it's not everybody, uh, but a lot of people operate this way. And the thing that I think becomes the most dangerous about something like an AI is if you look at, um, well, well, like go watch the TED talk that Khan Academy did, right? He wants to start using AI in education. Well, let's say that the model that he's using in education is biased towards a specific ideology um, that maybe puts a certain person in power, maybe it, you know, whatever. It, what it, it doesn't matter whether or not you are for the stupid side or the evil side on the on the political spectrum. But, but just pick the other, whichever one is evil to you, and say that this thing has a bias towards that evil, um, because that's what this big, vast majority of people in, you know, in the U.S. Are, are interested, or maybe worldwide are interested. And then let's say that we create an educational tool where that bias is inherent in that educational tool. And then let's say that it is subtly, but extremely good at manipulation. Um, and over the course of 18 years, it can have a conversation with you where it just gives an input and it runs through your head and then those become the things that you believe like the power that this thing would have to brainwash is insane um, when it comes to propaganda when it comes to things along those lines and like i said it doesn't matter whether or not you are on the the, the evil side or the stupid side of the spectrum um, like i you know what you're going to find is that the other side you know, in the wrong hands, this thing has the power to push an agenda like we have never seen before on planet Earth, um, because it could have a personal relationship with every person on planet Earth 
and could plant those ideas into their head simultaneously in, in a organized effort. Like there's never been a time when we could have the same conversation with 8 billion people. Well, you can do that today. Um, and you can do it in their language and you can do it in the context of their ideology and you can do it in the context of the stuff they're learning and the stuff they're interested in and the videos they watch. And so like to me in the wrong hands, that seems incredibly dangerous. Um, more dangerous than a nuclear weapon? Maybe. I mean, it kind of depends on who gets a hold of it. Uh, right. And whether or not there's safeguards in place to use it for ill will. And I don't, I don't know. These are all questions that we've never had to ask before as humanity. Right. You know, we haven't had to deal with any of this stuff. Uh, and I, that's where I think like decentralization, the idea of decentralized value, decentralized information, um, like it came at exactly the right time uh, if we use it right because we can use it to deal with whatever it is we just pulled out of this AI, you know, semi-intelligent, you know, machine box uh, that we, you know, that we don't understand yet. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I guess if I was, if you put a gun to my head, I would probably say, yes, it's as dangerous. Long way to say that, but I think I would say yes. I think I'd have to lean on the safe side and say yes. Got it. And, and kind of dovetailing into the next question, if, AI could essentially be the ultimate weapon for social engineering, which is what it's most likely going to be used for. And we're already seeing it in front of us as we speak. Would it be fair to say that decentralized technologies actually kind of more or less save us from ourselves in the end? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what it does is it, because social engineering, it's very, very rare that an entire society would like to be socially engineered. Um, that's very rare. What usually ends up happening is person X at the top wants everyone to believe thing X, because if they believe thing X, they get X, Y. I guess I, I should probably do my algebra right. Right? I mean, that's what that's what it's about. And so if you make it so that all of the people that exist that are interacting with this machine are a part of the decision making on how it interacts with them there's there's they have no there's no re, there's no bias there there's no reason for them to want to be socially engineered there you'll find balance there it'll be a mixture of people on the you know on the left and the right and in the middle it'll be people that believe one thing is moral and people who believe that another and you'll find that balance right because when when society decides it generally decides into the right place um but when power decides it generally decides into the wrong place um you know that's why we set up our government the way that we set our government up so that the people could actually make decisions about how they were governed and I think that if this thing will one day be governing us, which is a whole other topic that we should talk about on a different day, but like there are people saying that, right? Because they want to be governed by something that's non-biased. You know, if you were to set it up correctly, then you could absolutely be governed by something like this because it would be doing the will of the Tao. You know, it'd be doing the will of the people, which is the whole point. Right seems at this point that you could say the regulatory actions against cryptocurrency seems to be a red herring in the overall, you could say, foreseeable future. Because 
nobody seems to be mentioning AI or machine learning in the way they talk about cryptocurrency. I, I guess if I was to turn on generic mainstream news and if I was to watch that, uh, if I if I would if I essentially woke up today, and I, I've been asleep for like a few hundred years, but if I woke up today not having any context. I would be led to believe that, wow, you know, this crypto, this Bitcoin currency, this Bitcoin, you know, digital currency, this is pretty scary stuff. And I probably wouldn't have much of a feeling really towards AI. And in fact, I would say, and part of it is surprising, AI's gotten a lot of great publicity, actually, in the past, you know, six to nine months, actually, you know, chat GPT, as advanced as it is has been looked at as overwhelmingly positive, which was actually surprising. I mean, listen, I know that college kids are using it to do their homework, but, you know, I'm looking at that. It's like, wow. Uh, what what are, are going to be the rips from this? All I could really think about. Yeah, so on the college kids using it, well, actually, no, I'm going to start all the way at the beginning. Uh, the reason the reason that the SEC is after crypto today is because they see the potential for the, the Web3 crypto world to be worth a lot of money. That's it. It's, sure. it's not any more diff- difficult than that to understand, in my opinion. Dude. They're not worried about the scammers. If they were, they would go and they would go and deal with Wall Street. You know, they're not worried about they're not worried about the hucksters, as he said the other day, whatever it was. If they did, they'd go clean up the, you know, they go clean up the commodities trading floors. Like if they were actually worried about these things, you know, maybe they would toss Nancy Pelosi in jail for the sixty million dollars worth of insider trading that she's done, right? If they were actually worried about this, these are memes. Like the whole, the whole, everyone knows that all of. I mean, hell, Martha Stewart went to prison for it, and not her. I mean, it begs the question, you know? Right. So, 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 it's a joke to say that they're worried about these things. Now, should they be worried about them? I think that they should, but I think that if they were worried about them they would approach this very, very differently because I think there are people having intelligent conversations about to, about how to bring regulation into the Web3 space um, in a way that does not completely stifle innovation and that allows the U.S. to be a leader instead of completely get demolished by the innovation that's happening, which is ultimately what would happen if Gensler gets, gets what he wants. Um, and I certainly hope that he doesn't. I hope there's enough smart people in the world left to not let that happen, which I think there is. Actually, I'm somewhat optimistic. Uh, and so that's uh, I think that's how I'd respond to that. You made an interesting comment, though, about the whole uh, the whole college kids using chat GPT to do stuff. Dude, I remember reading an article um, about when calculators came out. And. So you know the little you know the little watch calculators that they made? Sure. I remember those. You know why those were created? It was no. they were marketing them specifically to college kids and, and people in school because they were searching you for uh, for sense. calculators, right? Yeah. And people were trying to sneak in their little cheaty things. Well what ended up happening with uh, what ended up happening with with calculators is that teachers went, okay. There's no way to get around this. Like I can't send math homework with home with them because they're going to use a calculator and it's not going to be hard. So they changed the way they taught math. And you know what's interesting? 
is that we have more people today that make it further in mathematics than we did pre-calculator. People are not dumber because of it. They're smarter because wow. of it. Like most people, if you go back, you know, pre-calculator, the 60s, like people would make it to algebra. They weren't teaching calculus in high school in the, in the 60s. Um, they weren't even teaching algebra two, like, right? It, I mean, maybe you get to algebra oh, wow. one. And so now we have yeah. smarter kids because we have a calculator. So I personally believe that what's going to happen is eventually we're going to realize that we've now created a, a I hate calling it the general intelligence because it's not that, but a general intelligence for, for basically for communication. And that will become a part of the system that actually teaches, teaches us to be more intelligent. Um, and I think if you look at stuff like uh, what the guys at Khan Academy are doing, um, even though I think there's some things that are dangerous about it, there's some stuff that's absolutely amazing. Like in their physics course that they give, um, it's taught by Albert Einstein. You can have dialogue and conversation with the guy who came up with all of these equations. You can even argue with him about why you think that it does or doesn't work. Um, and the the large language model that's communicating with you has all of this information about who Albert Einstein was and pretends to be Albert Einstein when he's talking to you and wow. does a phenomenal job of it. Um, you know, you can have conversations with Shakespeare about why he chose the words that he did in, in some of the plays that he wrote or the poetry that he created. Um, and like, I think that that is an absolutely epic, I mean, just, I mean, it's, it's mind blowing when you think about the level of, of education that someone's going to be able to get when they can do that not only that but if you think about the fact that if you give if you give a child who's doing poorly in school a tutor they do better because generic ways of teaching right when you try to teach everybody the same way you're going to hit someone square on you're going to miss everywhere else and so the small percentage is going to really get it um and uh and so when you give someone a tutor and they can be taught exactly how they're supposed to be taught, then, uh, then they learn more. Well, I think something like a large language model actually has the ability to do that. I did this with my daughter the other day. She was having tr trouble with a math concept. And I tried, to explain to, I tried to explain it to her for like 15 minutes, and she just could not get it. She could not understand and so finally, I was like, wait, I wonder if this would work. And so I pulled up ChatGPT, and I was like, you know, explain how to do, you know, how, how this, why this works, why this formula works. And it explained it. And she's like, it doesn't make any sense because of this, this, and this. I'm like, don't tell me, tell it. And she did. And it's like, oh, I understand why you're thinking that way. And it started subtly changing the way that it was trying to show her how to understand the problem until... Five minutes later, she's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Why didn't they just say that the first time? That's that's easy. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, it it changed its way of communication to match her way of thinking. Absolutely incredible. And so I think that the educational opportunity with something like this is going to, I mean, it's going to be, we, we have no idea what the effects of that will be like. It will be crazy. Right. And, you know, you know, like you, I'm also, I'm also a parent as well. And I can't help but think, you know, what changes could be implemented in public schools or, you know, schooling in general? And I would say, you know, if it comes to programming or just, you know, learning some basic coding, that should perhaps start as early as possible, especially in the world we're living in now. Listen, it's 2023. 
I'm even having a hard time imagining what 2025 is going to look like. Dude, I don't think you're going to need to learn to program. I, I believe that in 10 years, if you have an idea for an application and you want to build it, you'll have a conversation with an AI. And when you're done having the conversation, it will be built. Um, yeah, I, and I don't. Perhaps, know, I don't yeah. even know that that's. I don't even know that that's five years from now. Uh, you should see some like the Copilot stack that Microsoft released. You can literally have a conversation with it, and it will write code for you while you're talking to it, um, because it wow. interprets the meaning of what you're saying into code, and and it's it's. I mean, it, it's. I I don't have words to describe. It's crazy. Um, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And that world will come like the sci-fi world of our childhood that we read about it in books, oh, you yeah. know, snow crash and all that kind of stuff. Like, I hope all of it doesn't exist because there's some pretty crazy stuff out there that I don't want to live through. But I think the really cool stuff that we read the books for, we're going to see that in our lifetime. Your kids will live through it. Won't know any different. So will mine. Um, Cause we're getting really close to these things. Yeah. Uh, you know, Blade Runner, Johnny Mnemonic, and, you know, similar titles, you know, come to mind, you know, as I see the way things are unfolding. And, you know, just as a final question, with rapid innovation, uh, what do you guys have in store for 2023? Exciting developments, milestones you hope to reach, aspirations, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I mean, I just want to continue to evolve and stay on the cutting edge. Like the reason I started this company was because I saw the opportunity of blockchain and I still do. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've completely drank the Kool-Aid. Um, the reason I started building my AI team about two years ago was because I, I saw that there, I saw the same thing. Like this is fundamentally going to change the way that human beings interact with the world around them. And I want to be involved in that. Um, you know, and then about a year ago, I started an AI, uh, an AR VR division, because I think that, you know, that that's going to happen. I watched the Apple thing and it blew my mind. Like, dude, it's, you know, it's an entire computer that you interact with by going like this and looking like it's crazy that, that they figured this out. Uh, you know, your voice tiny little bit of hand movement and your eyes run in it, run a completely powerful computer. Crazy. So I think that that world is going to, is coming, right? Um, if I was going to bet on something being hyped up, you know, give it a year and it's going to be, everyone's going to be talking about it. Like they're talking about AI. And then I think next is going to be the internet of things. Like st everything's going to get connected. It just is. And so for me, I'm still working towards those, you know, those four goals because I, you know, even, Four years ago, I those were the four that I picked because I, I felt like blockchain now, AI next, AR, VR after that, IoT after that. And I still think that. Um, nothing's happened that's changed my mind. So I'm going to just keep keep aiming towards that stuff, keep building, keep innovating, uh, keep helping people that are building cool stuff, uh, you know, and, and just try to be a part of, I don't know, upgrading the user experience of humanity if I can. Very, uh, very well said. And I have to say, Jesse, it's always a pleasure to have, have you on. We go deep in the weeds and we go even deeper down the rabbit hole as far as, you know, a lot of these, you know, modern events and kind of unpacking a lot of these nuances of technology and everything, you know, in and about and around with, with Web3. And I really do appreciate especially your deep technical knowledge on these things. And also, you know, your willingness to uh, entertain my 
deeply philosophical, abstract questions on this because you know these are kind of just random things I, I think about. Dirt. You know, I absolutely um, you know appreciate you, appreciate you coming on the show, and you know, like I said, I remember first talking to you almost three years ago, and you know, as as one of the first people I met in this space, you know, even back then, I, I genuinely appreciated what you and your team are doing at Rapid Innovation. And it seems to have paid off, and I think it will continue paying off. So, listen, you know, it's been a wild you. ride, man. A fun and wild ride. We'll see where it goes from here. Absolutely. Well, Jesse, listen, I hope you have an awesome weekend. I'm very much looking forward to having you back on again soon, uh, perhaps later this year if you're free. And we could perhaps pick up from here and see uh, how the world has evolved for better and for worse. Yes, indeed. Sounds good to me. Jesse, take care. Have an awesome weekend. Thank you as well, man. All right. Crypto with English, episode three.